2: Welcome to Name Free Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan. I'm
0: Jenna Mullion. And this is a podcast where we challenge sexism in the music industry and empower fangirls. Because let's be honest, fangirls are about that band way before you did.
2: And if you stick around long enough, we'll also let you in on some new music that girls are already crazy about.
0: And we have a new Patreon member to welcome. Ellie, welcome to the crew. We're so excited to have you. We love learning. We love learning with you guys. And we love that you enjoyed enough that you want to come hang out with us even more and learn some more with us because one of the fun things that we get to do is these mini episodes where mm-hmm. we're basically responding to news that's happening during the week and giving like our feminist takes on it and at the time of recording we recently did one about Kanye and him calling out Billie Eilish and like just the whole mess that's kind of happening with that and it gives us a chance to kind of like respond to like current news more so than we mm-hmm. actually do on the podcast yeah
2: it's definitely something that's fun because it will- went from just Jenna and I sending back and forth twitter headline tweets being like oh my god can you believe this is happening to like us actually hopping on and discussing it and then you guys getting to listen and discussing over on discord so it really uses all of like the bonus stuff that patreon has to offer which is really exciting so if you want access to that as well as our monthly music meltdown episodes you can get that over at patreon.com slash name three songs or if you just have been enjoying the episodes and want to give us a little tip you can do that over at paypal.me slash name three songs so sarah what are we getting into today Today is a really fun episode because we're going back to the roots of this podcast, which is essentially the three song man, but how the three song man exists in like fandom in and of itself. Because now that we have all of this knowledge, as we've been doing these primer episodes, we have a vast understanding of, like, why fangirls are treated like shit and why women are treated like shit. And we just, like, really get it way more than we did when we first started. Because I think when we first started, it was a feeling, and now it's, like, a knowing, which feels bad, but also is quite exciting because we can back up our thoughts more. And so today we're kind of talking about the way in which male fans of things specifically like comics, Marvel, Star Wars, etc. and sports are treated very differently than fangirls and how there's like this moral panic around the idea of fangirlness even though the male fans are in fact the ones acting the way in which like most people seem to assume or correlate fangirlisms with because like the male fans are the ones that are being horrible gatekeepers they're the ones who are bullying they're the ones who are setting things on fire they're the ones who are hurting people and while there definitely is like some toxicity within the female side of things it's definitely more so on the male side and I do mention this quite a lot in the episode unfortunately this is going to be a very black and white gender discussion just because most of the psychology around it is very focused on like the testosterone, estrogen mindset of things. And as you all know, And as we are aware, gender is a spectrum. But unfortunately, when it comes to fangirlism, the world just doesn't want to see it that way yet.
0: And spoiler alert, a lot of what we're talking about today also has to do with misogyny and toxic masculinity, because (laughs) when does it not? But I think to your point earlier of us being able to have these conversations now, it's really fascinating Mm -hmm. because it's like, you know, it's really easy to be like, misogyny is bad. Toxic masculinity is bad. But like actually unpacking why those things are bad and like understanding why why those things are bad are so important. And I think that's like what we can bring to the table now is as we have these deeper conversations, because we have all this knowledge, we're able to connect the dots a lot more and things are starting to make a lot more sense. Like new thoughts are starting to be unlocked. It is so crazy. And I'm just like so excited that you guys are like on this journey with us because this episode, there's truly a lot to learn.
2: Yeah, there really, really is. And because it is such like a deep seated topic and there's lots to cover. And even though we, I personally am a very big comic book sci-fi kind of nerd. We thought it would be a good idea to have a guest on the podcast who has more experience not only as a fan, but as a journalist in this spectrum of dealing with nerdy fans. So Jenna, would you like to introduce everybody to our guest today?
0: Today, we are talking to Lucy Ford, who's a freelance entertainment and culture writer with most of her experience in conducting interviews with the biggest names across film, TV, and movies. She's also an unashamed fangirl and professional meme maker. Hi. Lucy welcome to name three songs thank you so much for joining us today
1: thank you for having me I'm so excited
0: So since we're talking about all things fandom today, we're very excited to have you on considering you're both a fan yourself. And as a journalist, you've worked in various different aspects of the entertainment industry, both on like the music and the movie side and whatnot. And so was there ever a time either as a fan or a journalist when you realized that there was kind of this divide in how fandom works when it comes to male fans versus female fans and the way they interact with their fandom?
1: I was thinking about this, but I think I I sort of learned about fandom and the differences of fandom like at the same time because my job when I first started out was doing sort of like film junkets mainly I did music as well but film junkets was what I mostly did and I think within the space of one year I interviewed the cast of Star Wars Last Jedi and then I also interviewed Harry Styles for Dunkirk so around the same time and those are probably the two most intense already existing fandoms that I was sort of presenting to with those interviews and monitoring the reaction that I got from both of them was really interesting I think at the time anyway I'm not sure if it's the same now but at the time I definitely felt that the response to me interviewing Harry Styles was generally a lot kinder because there was this feeling I think that Although I am a fan of Harry Styles and I am like obsessed with him. There was this feeling that even if I wasn't sort of like in the trenches with his most devoted fans, they were at least semi-grateful for whatever voice I was providing Mm -hmm. as like an interviewer. Even if it was in a three-minute interview that was extremely (laughs) surface level, you know? But from a Star Wars point of view, it was immediately asking for my credentials to be there. It's like, well, my credentials is that I am staff at this uh, job. (laughs) Like it's not, you know, and... Loads of misogyny, and you definitely do get a lot of internal misogyny when it comes to like female fandom. But I think misogyny outright from men—it's just such a gross feeling, and it it feels really violating. Especially because you sort of get accused of like flirting with male actors when actually just like having a conversation. And I think it—but it's just—it's so reductive. Like it's saying like, oh, well, the only reason that you're like having a nice conversation, or the only reason that you have this job, is because you are like. (sighs) flirting and it's like no I may not be an expert but I'm providing something for you and that wasn't the same with Harry Styles I'm not saying that it's like all perfect on either one but yeah there was definitely a a less Mm -hmm. violating feeling I would say. Treated less as like a threat (laughs) coming into a space.
2: The thing that I just find so funny and why we're even talking about this today is obviously there's like the moral panic around fangirls and like Beatlemania and One Mm -hmm. Direction and just all of these female heavy fan bases of artists specifically of people being like oh my god like they're manic they're insane they're crazy as I always like to talk about like Friends List in like the 1800s and women losing their absolute minds (laughs) literally like over Uh, 200 years ago in Germany, like losing their absolute shit about it. And there was this article in the AV Club from 2020 where they actually mentioned like in Greek mythology with the Maenads and their obsession with the Greek god Dionysus, which I think is just so funny because I've never thought about it like that. But they genuinely like going back throughout history. There's always the trope of women manically obsessing and screaming over someone In that realm, because when they were grieving Orpheus's death, they literally were just ripping the singer to pieces, which is something that people I feel like fear when it comes to fangirls. And like while we have talked about toxic fandom on the podcast quite a lot in regards to female fans on Twitter, etc., it's never really as horrible as these male fans of comic book centric, sci fi centric sort of things, because These men seem to feel like they own these things. And like, while there are tons of articles about this culture and tons of interviews and op-eds, etc. And even things like Gamergate or like Kelly Marie Tran having to delete her whole social media because people were so mad at like a woman being at the forefront of a Star Wars movie. Male fans never get the same rap as female fans of anything and it's just so interesting when you're saying especially because I feel like Harry Styles fans in particular right now have such a bad connotation with them of the obsession level and like essentially like the horniness of fans about (laughs) Harry Styles you know they're like rabid about him but yet they can be so kind about things especially when they like get the right vibe from you which I know like you shouldn't judge people based off that but Whatever. But with male fans, it's like unless they go to your Twitter and your Twitter feed is like dedicated to like what they're obsessed with, they're going to come at you worse than any female fandom will ever do. And it's just so crazy how we don't talk about them both at the same level when they truly are doing like the same thing when but even guys kind of take it to this completely other level.
1: Yeah, it definitely feels like they're doing the same thing but in different hats. Like, there are things that exist on both sides of how female fans act, especially in the many positive ways, but like, in the negative ways that female fandoms can act, in the positive and negative ways that male fandoms can act. It's very similar behavior in terms of the amount, but we definitely don't judge men as much for it as we do women, especially young women. I mean,
0: honestly, hearing you say your story about interviewing the Star Wars cast is so interesting because like they're essentially gatekeeping star wars from you which is like probably one of the biggest franchises in the world if not the biggest at this point Mm. (laughs) so like the the idea that star wars can be gatekept number one number two you're a journalist your job is to be a journalist your job is to interview people and they're like do you even know everything about star wars it's like (laughs) your literal job title is to do this it's so ridiculous
1: it's so funny i think when. I mean I definitely think there is so much place for like fans of something interviewing the product of something like that. It's like a very valuable thing, but it's not the only way that interviewing mm-hmm. can exist. There is definitely lots that can be gained from all points of the fan spectrum coming in and asking questions because ultimately what you're doing is you're asking questions if you're an expert (laughs) you already know the answers so you do have to sort of come in with this thing of like why should I care about this why should anyone go and pay and see your movie because that's ultimately what that job is is telling people why they should pay to see something if you already are there like I'm gonna pay anyway or projecting that sort of idea you're just not really doing the job as it's supposed to I guess but there's like yeah it's just a really interesting anger lots of it stems from jealousy I'm very aware of that you know very privileged position to sit in a room with people's idols or people who are representing their idols in the case of like a franchise or a comic book thing um, lots of people don't actually understand how those situations even work in terms of timing and in terms of like the freedom you have to ask things in those situations and I would never judge anyone for not knowing that like Why would they? But it just comes out in like a very immediately misogynistic way, which I think is a very interesting jump to go to immediately. (laughs) And a competitive way as well, I think, is also like a big thing about it. It is very interesting
0: because in this, also in this AV Club article that Sarah mentioned, the writer Ashley Neftal says, fandom doesn't suddenly become more rational when it's centered around the home team or a comic book hero. And yet soccer fans rioting or Star Wars nerds waiting hours ahead of time to see a movie doesn't spark the same kind of moral panic that it does with female fans and then she goes on to specifically she was referencing hannah ewen's book fangirls which we talked about in a previous episode and how there's this difference among there's a gender divide and like of course like now a nowadays like the gender spectrum is moving in a very different way but these are like these traditional ways that men and women have acted and so the writer actually mentions like there's like this highlander as struggle for supremacy among male fans as well as like their honed trivia skills, which I think is really funny because literally the name of our podcast, Name Three Songs, is men quizzing women about whether or not they know the information. And I also found a podcast episode on this podcast called Ologies and that specific episode was called Fanthropology with a fanthropologist named Meredith Levine who broke down that there's different ways that people interact with fandom. One of them is transformational, which is largely female. And it's things like making fan art, making fanfic, things like this where you take what is already given and you go beyond into this other universe. Then there's affirmational fandom, which is largely male in which they follow the rules of what the original creator intended and so in this way it's kind of like, it's supposed to be like this, it's not supposed to be like that and I feel like that's where this gatekeeping element comes in because the third part of this is completionism, which is like the encyclopedic knowledge of having to know everything in order to participate in fandom.
1: That's such an interesting way of describing it and I feel like that unlocks like everything <laughs> thing that I think about it yeah I was thinking actually I because I read that article as well the AB club one and I it kind of made me realize a few things kind of realizing (laughs) stuff but I think a big part of traditionally male fandoms versus traditionally female fandoms is that sort of loving something very loudly is quite a young thing to do like it's something that you learn growing up when you're first learning about your emotions is is you know how to love things loudly kids don't have a lot of shame when it comes to what they love what they enjoy you know like they'll just talk you know if you've been around a child that like loves trucks like they'll just tell you and they don't care that you don't care but sort of that idea of preserving adolescence I think when it comes to men is seen as almost sort of like noble or it's seen as sort of charming because it's like, oh yeah, of course, like everyone deserves to sort of have this like inner child element to them. Like that's a nice thing to have. And, you know, that's why something like a comic book fandom or sort of sports in that way, because those are things that you learn when you're young a lot of time. Carrying that into adulthood, I think mostly people think, oh, that's just like a nice hobby that they have. But when it comes to women, preserving adolescence is seen as like deluded or- yes embarrassing or hysterical you know this idea that you can like love like an idol like a Harry Styles or you know an Ariana Grande is like it's seen as silly and it's seen as like oh my god Mm -hmm. grow up and I think they both are the same thing it's just how we expect women to detach from the things that they enjoy and have a little bit of shame about them is very different and on that note about emotions I think in sort of positive to this men argument (laughs) is that women are taught to be emotionally vulnerable very young we're very in tune with our emotions at a young age and so we express our emotions a lot easier That that is definitely an element of toxic masculinity and so our relationship to fandom a lot of times is a very emotional one and it's A space that many women especially come to from an emotional point of view. Men, I don't know whether they necessarily have that emotional upbringing to start with. So they come from a place of like competitiveness or a place of sort of anger or just sort of on the defense because loving things is like a very vulnerable thing to do it's very open and like you're sharing a lot of yourself so I think that the way that that manifests is very interesting that sort of emotional vulnerability and it being a young thing to love something how seeing that play out in older men is I think a very interesting part of the difference
2: yeah yeah <laughs> I think you put that really, really perfectly. Because again, there is that thing where it's like, for a lot of young boys, they grow up to a certain age, and then they hit like 10, 11, whatever. And all of a sudden, it's like, you can't cry anymore. You can't show affection to your friends. And this is something we literally talked about in an episode about like Larry Silenson about just like how homophobia, like, exists because boys are taught that they can't have platonic love and affection towards their friends. They're taught that that's something that only people do if they're, like, actually in love with each other or whatever, you know? And I feel like that, again, is the same thing when it comes to the toxic masculinity of it all. If It's like boys are kind of taught from a young age that girls are allowed to feel 100% of their emotions whereas boys kind of have to feel 50% of them and so it's like wow we do do the whole like oh down with men sort of conversations of this all and like oh like men are being toxic men are being bad it's like it's not 100% their fault in a lot of ways because of like just how the patriarchy is and how this how society is and how people are kind of trained to raise boys which it feels like is like slowly start to change as people are becoming like way more aware of just like how bad things are but it's just interesting like how this all overlaps because again like when it when you look at fangirl culture like there's there's so much about it there's so much going on here where girls have this the very intense emotional connection to these people that they're obsessed with and it's frustrating when these things like feel so gendered but like psychologically speaking they kind of are which again is like that weird thing where you're like there's so many people who are like in this in-between where it's like where do you fit into this conversation and it's like psychology hasn't caught up to it yet unfortunately which is so frustrating when it comes to these things because obviously There are so many people who have grown up differently, have been raised differently than in that like very patriarchal sense, you know? But in the black and white of it all, it's just girls and boys are taught differently from when they're growing up. And like girls tend to have like a more emotional connection to these artists. And so in that, there is like a much deeper connection between fellow fans as well. So there's a way, like, obviously it still exists. As I said, we've talked about this in multiple other episodes, but it's like, there's way more like camaraderie between female fans and it's like you more often see camaraderie between male fans when they're ganging up to try and push lesser than fans out of fandoms like you don't necessarily see it where people are like oh you only know a couple of songs like come hang out with our group of friends like we'll make you feel comfortable like you would never really have that happen ever with a bunch of dudes whereas like girls like there's going to be some girls who are going to judge you but there's going to be other girls who are like oh you're here alone you, you just found out about them like come hang out with us like this is so exciting oh my god we want to be part of this with you you know and so it just is really interesting just the whole like juxtaposition of it and the different ways that they interact with other people in the fandom or just like with the artist and like the idea of fandom in and of itself.
1: Yeah, I think it's also interesting that the sort of democratization of fandom in the sense of the internet and technology, meaning that everyone can technically get involved in fandom if they want to now. It's not dependent on your location or your means. It's interesting that that has happened at the same time that sort of like geek culture has become the dominant force in pop culture. Because sport has always been a physical place of fandom. You know, like it's a communal thing physically is sport. And that's why it's always been sort of a dominant fandom thing. But geek culture, the Star Wars, the Marvels, the comic books, etc. They were a very solitary interest, like a lot of current fandom Mm -hmm. is. But now they're also the dominant force in pop culture. So you're sort of seeing these two things happening at the same time, where people want a space somewhere, but maybe formerly isolated fandoms aren't used to letting that space in. And it also happens to be a fandom that is predominantly male as well. So it's like seven things happening and converging
0: at once. No, it is fascinating. And I mean, like what you're saying right here, we also found this article called The Toxic Culture of Sci-Fi and Its Fanboys in The Swaddle by Ujani Roy in 2019. And the writer says, while fantasy and sci-fi have garnered a reputation that centers narratives of belonging, they have actually failed to educate Legion of its fan base on what being inclusive really means. Instead, the fanboys and the films they love have thrived on exclusion and bullying other identities for decades. And it's really interesting what you're saying of let's say geek fandom or like nerd fandom as we're saying like comic book type stuff has now become so mainstream but historically was something that you were probably Mm -hmm. bullied for when you were in middle school and so it became this like internalized thing of it's like other people don't like what I like, I'm being bullied for it. This is mine. Like, and a lot of times, like, I feel like people go to the internet to find their fandom and to find their spaces. And there's a sector, like there's a sector of fandom that's about coming together with the other weird people who like the same thing that you do. Because at the end of the day, we're all nerds about something. <laughs> so it's not just yeah. to like say, you know, like this is just like a geek comic book thing. But it's interesting that it's like they were bullied for it, then they found their community online, but then because of this like stigma around it, they don't want others to be part of it because then it would change the idea of what's rightfully
1: theirs i guess yeah while also these franchises of like entirely monopolized movies yeah. do you know what i mean like it's such a crazy yeah. from the <laughs> outset to be like gatekeeping a system that has entirely dismantled how the cinema system works like is very funny but the psychology of it is just so Far yeah, it's
2: just like it's so insane because also when you think of like comic books and these sorts of things, there are so many strong female superhero characters like you even villains, honestly, like Poison Ivy is a feminist icon, you know, like you have like all of these characters that girls throughout time have been able to see themselves in in comics because girls have dads who share stuff with them or some, like sometimes even their moms were into it and share it with them and you know but it's like it's always that trope where you see these people making fun of things where it's like oh like a girl goes into a game shop and they're automatically given a quiz or whatever and it's like if a girl's buying something to do with like Dungeons and Dragons or something that's still like not very mainstream there's always that trope where somebody's gonna be like are you sure you know what you're buying like do you really know what's going on? Here or whatever and I just Think it's so entertaining To some degree just because it's kind of Painful for it to be anything other Than entertaining to watch The demise of these cultures Because people are so used to being Made fun of for one thing or another And they're like instead of Learning and growing from that, they kind of full circle and, like, become what was already hurting them, if that makes sense. And I feel like this exists a lot in, like, the American university sector of things where you can go to colleges that... Specialize in like math or science or engineering or what have you and like the one year I went to university in America the college I went to had had, like an incredible photography program was an engineering school and so you go here and it's a bunch of nerds who get to this school and they're amongst a bunch of other nerds but they realize finally that like they are in fact hot and like interesting and like have a lot to offer and therefore they become chads like they went from being very nice guys to becoming like the worst asshole ever, gaslighting, gatekeeping, girl bossing, everything, you know like, it was like- <laughs> <laughs> this is really, like the absolute worst level of man because they have the trauma of being bullied they have the trauma of being turned down and now they're somewhere where they're amongst a bunch of other nerds of something or another because it's a school that's good at arts and engineering so like what are you going to expect out of that group of humans and then those dudes are assholes and it's the same thing when it comes to something like sci-fi or whatever it's like There's not only one gender. Like, you're not going to be able to gatekeep this forever. You're not going to be able to keep this forever. And also, people are boring, so we're going to have to pull movies out of pre-existing things, as we've seen with, like, how well-received the Marvel Cinematic Universe was when, like, they literally brought, like, five of the least important Marvel comic book characters to the screen, and now everybody's like, oh, my God, Iron Man's so important to Marvel. And it's like... (laughs) Is he? Like no. Like who was fighting over things? <laughs> Spider Man. Spider Man was the who people were having, <laughs> having fights with fights of over. <laughs> it was just the But it's just so funny like what people are wanting to gatekeep in order to like feel some sort of power over something and just being like you're not allowed here and it's like you were made fun of for so long don't you just want like other people there to be like told you so instead of being a bully
1: i think that's what's so interesting is that like it's definitely human nature to want to be vindicated for something that you've been made to feel bad for i totally get that i think anyone who claims that they don't want to see their enemies fail (laughs) is lying But that's what's interesting about geek nerd culture, that kind of thing that we're talking about is, you know, we said it's a solitary interest for the most part, people got like stereotypically like beat up in the schoolyard for like holding a comic book. And so in older life now, when maybe they have a bit more power or perceived power because of like the internet, instead of being like, well, I was made to feel really bad about this. So I'm not going to let someone else feel bad. I'm going to let them feel like it's a safe space. It's like, not really that at all it's repeating the cycle just in like a different mode whereas I think maybe because female interests have always been catered to the dominant popular culture like if you think about it pop stars boy bands whatever they are created specifically to make a shit ton of money and to get people obsessed with Mm -hmm. them that is their primary point in terms of like why they're backed by people so no one is necessarily made fun of I think young girls aren't necessarily made fun of for like I mean, okay, from a British point of view, like loving Westlife, loving Boyzone, because it was expected of us too. like, it was that's what girls do. And so maybe when it comes to being a bit older and having fandom spaces now, there is just this feeling of like, well, the more the merrier, because actually, it's really fun when we all come together and enjoy things. I just don't Yeah, there's this feeling of like, treating newcomers or sort of just this new space, even like the inception of a new space very differently I do think that there is an interesting development of that though with like the monopolization of fandom online in the sense of like I was reading through a lot of articles and they were talking about sort of these intricate fan things that were happening on multiple different blogs and tumblers and twitters and everywhere that doesn't really exist anymore most things exist on twitter now because the internet has been so monopolized and so I actually think that a lot of the fandom behaviors that we're explaining are merging into each other. So I think pop fans sometimes are acting a little bit more like traditionally male fandoms would and vice versa, like traditionally male fandoms are acting maybe a little bit more like hyperbolic, like Stan Twitter would. That's probably a different conversation. But I think for the most part, I think that's the main difference is how open-armed these spaces are as a result of their past I guess
0: Mm -hmm. I just feel like there's so much to unpack my brain is like trying to like
1: put (laughs) a puzzle together
0: right now because I think what you just said about everything's converging on Twitter which is a very public platform so like there's a sense of curation with it right of like you can be super plugged into one fandom and not another fandom but if Mm. you do the digging you can discover any of the fandoms and I was just like thinking back to Tumblr and how like in a way Tumblr was kind of similar like it was discoverable but it wasn't as easy as like twitter is to like be tapped into those conversations so i think like what you were saying about like the modes of fandom converging is just really fascinating
2: look bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do i even say other than hey (sighs) well that's why they're introducing an all-new bumble With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place. Like Texas, you've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Yeah, I was
1: actually thinking when you were talking about Marvel earlier that my probably, because I came to fandom like pretty late, I have always been totally obsessed with anything mm-hmm. like I've never been chill about anything in my entire life but I think the first time that I was like online openly sharing things I love was on Tumblr because I became obsessed with Tom Hiddleston as Loki in Avengers Assemble <laughs> and that was funny because that was almost entirely driven by horny ladies like the- I don't know whether they were expecting people to love Tom Hiddleston as much as they did as Loki because he was just this like kind of half character in Thor. And then he became like the villain. But I think Tumblr was like you said—you could access anything, but most of the time you were able to curate. And I felt like things very rarely infiltrated.
2: Yeah, yeah. On your
1: Tumblr feed, if you wanted to find it, it was there, but it very rarely made its way to you organically. Twitter has none of that, and so you're seeing even vocabulary converge. You know, like saying something. You know, like just the way that. I notice when writers get hounded on Twitter because it happens to me all the time and it's horrible. You notice how people just even speak is like, almost sort of like this middle ground now where everyone's sort of giving and taking from each Mm -hmm. other in terms of how they communicate their love and I think that's a really interesting development I don't know whether we're going to actually know the effects of that for like another 10 years because a lot of the sort of fandom behaviors we're talking about now like when you talk about Tumblr that's 10 years ago talking about me loving Tom Hiddleston is 10 years ago but yeah that's a really interesting thing like what happens when actually it just becomes this like horrible melting pot of like all the good and all the bad at the same time what happens But interestingly, recently, I had a situation where I was getting harassed by a fandom that I am not part of, and I didn't see any of it because I have very good Twitter notification filters now. But I was made aware that it was happening. And I think it was a really eye-opening thing where I was like, wow, no one's echo chamber is as important as they think it is. Because when things happen in communities that I'm part of, I'm like, oh my God, everyone is talking about this. This is the most important (laughs) thing that's happening in the world right now. And then I realized like, Actually, no one gives a shit other than maybe like my five friends who are also here. And there's this like really interesting now thing of feeling like your interests, because they're so public, are so much more important culturally, maybe, and like daily news cycle way than they actually are. That's more of a side point. But I just thought that was an interesting thing of like the tribalism of these. And actually, nothing has changed that much in terms of how these subcultures are existing because they still are although they may be dominant they're still pretty insular as well at the same time yeah
0: you just mentioned basically haters for example or like antis as we like to call them in certain Mm. sectors of the internet um i was just thinking like even if you're an anti or like a hater or something like this if you're defending your fave but you're attacking someone else you're still like in a way supporting that other person while you're doing it because at the end Mm -hmm. of the day like you're giving them attention (laughs) you're giving them support even if it's hate so it's kind of funny like the whole antiness of it all is like you're still you're like essentially being a fan of things you hate because if it didn't bother you you literally would not care it would not cross your mind and like in that way that would be a true anti Yeah.
1: exactly so
0: essentially aunties are dedicated to being <laughs> fans of things that they hate it's, it's
1: so ridiculous every argument about how fans should and shouldn't act falls apart at the seams with even just the most minor of
2: introspection <laughs> like
1: when you think even just a bit deeper most of these arguments about how set things are fall apart
2: <laughs> always yeah I just want to really quickly like circle back to the Tumblrness of things because like while I do know that like men existed on Tumblr, I was very much on fandom, sci-fi fandom, like Doctor Who sort of (laughs) Tumblr situation. And it's just so interesting because I was so unaware for such a long time that there were like men trying to gatekeep Doctor Who to some degree because I was like what are you talking about like it's all women on Tumblr being little sluts for David Tennant like I have no idea what's going on <laughs>
1: Oh my God. And, yeah. and David Tennant was also one of my first loves <laughs> <laughs> completely.
2: <laughs> but people would get so up in arms. And it was so funny because a lot of the discourse around that, from like the female perspective, was always just like, oh, you only like this doctor because you're attracted to him, or like, oh, he's your favorite because. You, like, want to run away with him around, uh, around the universe, what have you. And it was always kind of, like, jokey. Like, nobody was ever that mean about it. But then I would see things on Twitter about Doctor Who, and people would be like, oh, you only started watching this because you think Matt Smith's hot, because he's the youngest person who's the Doctor. And I'm like, Matt Smith has no eyebrows and is shaped like a spoon. Like, he's a handsome man, but his fi- he's shaped like a spoon. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what's going on here? But I feel like that's always also, like... that thing is it's like rationally I feel like in these guys minds like in the nerd culture mind it's like when things become so mainstream it's hard to continually rationalize like your anger towards people who you quote unquote don't want or like don't expect to be fans of things to be fans of things even though they existed prior to them being mainstream in the pop culture zeitgeist sort of things but because of that there still is again like it always comes back to the misogyny of it all where If you see a girl in there even though Doctor Who's been rebooted for years, or even though Marvel's been around for over a decade now, it's still always like, oh, you only like this because Chris Evans is hot. Oh, you only like this because, like, Tom Hiddleston rolls up his sleeves like we know girls like, or, like, whatever nonsense thing that they're clinging on to that they heard about on, like, a podcast or on a TikTok or whatever. And it's just such a crazy thing when the battle is so weak that the only thing in your arsenal is to whip out misogyny and be like here we go like this is my weapon of choice to come at you for like me not believing that you belong here because I'm trying to gatekeep this thing from you even though my grandma also watches Avengers movies now because they're just in the movie theater and like that's what's going on
1: the idea of being horny for things is something I'm very passionate about <laughs> and I also wrote an article maybe like last year now yeah last year about this knee-jerk reaction that female fandoms have when it comes to saying, oh, anyone who likes a boy band, this was in relation to BTS, Mm -hmm. anyone who likes a boy band likes them because they're hot. And everyone then immediately goes, I'm not a teenager. I'm a doctor. I'm an adult. I'm a mum. I have all of these things about me that means I'm better than being young. And I understand entirely where that knee-jerk reaction comes from because I also do it. I'm like, I'm 30. (laughs) I am a homer. Oh no, you know, those things. And like, I understand that. But then I wanted to take a step Back and be like, but also, what is wrong with fancying people? Like, what is wrong with that? And this idea that, like, oh, you would only enjoy Doctor Who because David Tennant is hot. It's like, well, yeah, he's like, of course, he's a celebrity. He is there in part because he's attractive. Mm -hmm. Like this idea that, like, that was a deliberate thing that casting directors chose, and that's not that's (laughs) been the same for all of pop culture since the history of the talkies and the like, the silent films. You know what I mean? And. I think again it sort of feeds into that anti-fan thing where it's like oh maybe I was interested in BTS because I thought like this one guy was really hot I'm not sticking around because I think someone's hot I could go buy like a fireman's calendar if I just cared about someone being hot you're sticking around because you've found other reasons to enjoy it like and maybe if part of that maybe part of that is fancying I'm I'm horny for so many people that I enjoy but like I also am sticking around because there's other reasons that is important to me. It's emotionally fulfilling for me. And again, I think it's like that misogyny falls apart real quickly when you... Look at it like even just a slightly bit deeper. No one is having a Tumblr account dedicated to something that they like purely because they think they're hot. It may be like a huge part of it, but it's not the only reason. It
0: really annoys me. <laughs> no, I honestly love this. And it okay. So bringing everything back to the music side of things. So if we talk yeah. about like male fandom, like predominantly being like a sci-fi thing, but like obviously we have huge male fandoms within music as well. And like historically, it feels like a lot of like. Rock, a lot of hip hop where they're always trying to gatekeep like, can you even name three songs? Do you even know anything about rock and roll history? Like all of this stuff where male fans within music are always obsessed with men, <laughs> essentially, and rarely obsessed with female pop stars or female anybody, whatever. And a lot of it has to do with the idea that they could only find that person hot. And if it was anything beyond that, it would be considered gay. They'd be like, like, if you're a man and you're like a huge fan of Lady Gaga, it's like, well, you must be gay, like, obviously, right? And so I was trying to, like, figure out, and you guys talked earlier about toxic masculinity coming into all this, and, like, men not being allowed to, like, be in touch with their emotions, but I feel like, and this all ties together, the other half of it is that men constantly seeing women as objects, where it's, like, they can find a Doja Cat hot or a Megan The Stallion hot in the way that she's an object that, like, I want to have sex with, whereas, women and the way they interact with like the idols that they love is a very like of course you said there's there's always going to be an attraction there and like people a lot of people are famous because they're hot like that's how it works (laughs) But the other side of it is like, like, for example, let's take Harry Styles of like, you would love to like give Harry Styles a hug or like for him to blow you a kiss on stage or like these cute little like intimate moments to be like, oh my God, like he recognized me or something like that, where it doesn't feel like men interact with like idols like in that way.
1: I described yesterday, I was talking about one of my faves and I described them as my best friend who I often objectify (laughs) because that is that to me is like the perfect description for me because I'm like they're my best friend because I really care about them and I appreciate them and I think they're really inspirational and amazing but also like sometimes I want to have sex with them like that's what it is. And I just don't know whether men have that or you know they're taught that they can have that sort of emotional connection with the thing that they find attractive maybe in the same way like like you said like how many diehard male fans of Megan Thee Stallion are also like she's my best friend or like I really like think that she's so smart and inspirational and when I said that to my friends they were like oh no 100% I understand that like that's so valid and it didn't need any further explanation but if I Maybe said that to a guy I know who's like really into Marvel or really into anything. Actually, I just don't know whether they would be as like, yeah, cool. That's understandable.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, the thing yeah. that I always find interesting in doing research for any episode of this podcast or just in talking about pop culture and what have you, it's like you don't really run into a situation where you're seeing guys having the internal struggle of like do I want to be him or do I want to fuck him like whereas I feel like most girls have that struggle daily but again that could just be like everybody I know might be a little bit queer but like I don't know <laughs> but but like yeah. it, it is a it is that thing where it's like the only guy you ever see guys even like kind of joking about that about is like Ryan Reynolds really which I don't understand personally where I'm just like what is like why is he like the straight male person that like straight men are like okay with being attracted to like I don't it it doesn't compute to me that he's it I'm like Chris Evans is right there like Chris Pine is right there like there's two good Chris's like what's going on here but like Let's just like divert the conversation completely. But I mean, like even when it comes to like these rock stars that the guys really look up to, you know, or in music, I feel like they just want to have ownership of things. It never feels like it's anything that much deeper. Like even when you talk to guys who really like like pop punk or emo music or stuff like music that has a lot more unquote unquote, meaning than something like more superficial or whatever, like ACDC even, they still are just like, oh, yeah, like he's really smart and like his lyrics are really great. Like they can have like an intellectual conversation about why they like that music, but they still don't ever get to that level where it's like, oh, maybe I like him a little more than I realized. Like, you know, like maybe I have like a more of an emotional connection to this artist than I realized they never it, it never seems to like reach that point where they understand that they do in fact love Gerard Way in the exact same way that girls do because I feel like they're just not programmed to understand that that's what's happening. Which like I'm not trying to like belittle men's emotional capabilities whatsoever but it's just like so often you see because obviously there are men who know what's going on and like can admit to their feelings or what have you. But like I think it's again back to that whole like patriarchal society sort of conversation of men don't seem to understand like how women digest media and like what we're in Interested in because it's like yeah Matt Smith was my favorite Doctor Who person yeah he's a handsome guy but also he's not the most conventionally attractive guy like he's not really changing the world <laughs> with his looks so to speak you know
1: yeah I think it opens up this is quite a complicated thing to ever talk about. But this idea of the male and female gaze, like when you mentioned Ryan Reynolds, I think is a really interesting in terms of the female and male gaze, because I think a huge part of generalizing here, men's confusion at things that they like also being loved by women is is their general misunderstanding of what the female gaze is, because yeah. most media for the history of time has been delivered to the male gaze and I think men sometimes if they ever do even consider the female gaze think it's like a direct reverse of that and I actually think the female gaze is a lot more complicated yeah. in terms of what it is that we're enjoying you know when it comes to like a Ryan Reynolds it's like he's handsome, he's funny and actually that's mm-hmm. delivering to the male gaze it's aspirational but it's not delivering to the female gaze at all yeah, whereas someone like a David Tennant or a Tom Hiddleston there was that weird yeah. time where like every pale british guy was like the hottest guy ever (laughs) um because they directly they directly catered to the female gaze, while sort of existing in these properties that were. You're calling
0: would... Sarah out so hard.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm also calling me out. Like <laughs> it was Tom Hiddleston, Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, we're having a renaissance of it now with Andrew Garfield, which I'm yeah. loving. But I thought it was this interesting thing, especially with like the Tom Hiddleston, which was the start for me. Was this thing that was delivering to the female gaze that I think most people thought was nestled into something that was made for the male gaze. It was me- nestled mm. into a marvel. Everyone thought that everyone was. Love Chris Hemsworth because he's hot and he's Hench. Sure, people <laughs> do. But there was this weird guy that was so intriguing to the female gaze because it's just different. Like, it's always has been different. And I just don't think it's considered necessarily. So then people are like, oh, well, you're not even a real fan because like you don't, whatever, like, why are you even here? And it's like, why do you think I'm here? Like, this is catering to me in ways that you're not seeing. Similar thing with Adam Driver, also, I think, to bring it back around to Star Wars, is he's delivering to the female gaze in many ways. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's just a real misunderstanding of what those things actually mean and how they manifest, to be honest.
2: Oh yeah like a hundred percent and like that's the thing that's just like so funny is like they just don't understand like what women want and like what we're interested in and they, Always. they're not open to be fi- like finding out about what all this is and like they don't really have the understanding of like what we were talking about before of being like oh like my son my child must protect at all costs like my best friend my buddy I love you so much but also at the same time like maybe sometimes I'm attracted to you and like they don't really get it because it's like we're so emotionally connected to these artists that we love and because of that like we have so many different feelings towards them and again it's like we might find them attractive we might be attracted to them but like nine times out of ten like the response to seeing these people for being around them is like wanting to protect them at all costs rather than anything else which like I don't really think men fully understand you know yeah
1: he's my best friend who I objectify <laughs> This is so fascinating
0: because I think this just connected some dots for me in that we did an episode specifically about women over-sexualizing themselves versus empowering themselves and like what is the difference and the difference is that that conversation entirely runs from the male gaze of women are constantly over-sexualizing themselves because all they are to us are sexual objects whereas you know, what you're saying with the female gaze here is it's like, yeah, maybe I like was interested because this person was attractive, but then I got into it because of this and this and this. And these are all the reasons I stuck around. Mm. And like on the reverse side, it men are like lacking those further things if they just see it as surface level. They just see it as this woman is sexualizing herself and I think she's hot. And then that's the end of the conversation for them. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's delivering what was on the tin. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Like you get a hot girl in a movie and they're hot and that's it. Like that's what they were there intending to do and they did it. So it almost doesn't require any further surface level introspection. It's there if you want to do it, but it doesn't necessarily open itself up to that. And I think that's an interesting thing. Whereas I think women, again, I think maybe because of the fact that we're a little bit more emotionally available, because these leaps in finding things that we like, maybe aren't as big, because it's just like how we've been brought up to sort of Perceive the world. Mm. We make those jumps almost immediately. You know, it's like, oh, I enjoyed this thing. How can I like it more? Yeah. And what can I find in it more for me? That's just less of a logic jump, I think, for how women grow up. I think that is part of it too.
2: Well, I think like to tie it back all into the music of it all. You know, like and it always comes back to again the gatekeeping of it all, the like not understanding of it all, the like I need to control this narrative and these girls are only here because they maybe want to fuck this person when like again there's so many levels to it and that's not like it's just not always the case and I just think it's like again like very black and white viewpoint of things but unfortunately it kind of has to be quite black and white around this stuff girls have like a lot of camaraderie around going to concerts and all this sort of stuff whereas like guys seem to always want to gatekeep everything as much as possible. And it's again, like how we got our namesake with Name Three Songs. It's like these men are out here kind of just judging you about what you're wearing or what you're doing and asking you questions and it's like women can't outwardly show their love for anything without feeling attacked and it's a constant thing and it's like okay I might know everything about this band or I might have bought this shirt at HM. like why does that really matter to you in the grand scheme of things like why I'm wearing this or like how much it matters to me when like you don't have an emotionally deep connection with this artist in the same way that I do like who cares. Is where I got the shirt. Maybe I did buy it, at H&M. <laughs> so, it was what? there
1: for me to buy. <laughs> I yeah. wonder. I mean, I don't have any. I don't have any backing for this. It just made me wonder whether there is an element of feeling like your interest needs to be of use and the best way to be of use is to know lots about it to be an expert and that of course exists like I I do see that a lot in female fandom this idea of wanting to be an expert but it definitely is I don't know whether it's like a societal thing of if you're dedicating time to something it has to be useful and it has to be for a reason and the best way to have that be a reason is to like make people be impressed by how much you know (laughs) instead of just feeling things because feelings don't have a use but they're valuable and maybe that's the difference as well
0: okay so what you're saying right now perfectly aligns with this literally horrendous podcast I had the misfortune of listening to 20 minutes worth of it's like a Spotify exclusive podcast it's by these two dudes who like give dating advice to men and the reason that I watched it is because there was like this woman who came on the podcast as a guest who was like very like you could tell she was about to like call them out on their bullshit and she was just like not having any of it so I was like I wanted to hear what she was saying and the reason I had the misfortune of all this is because Mm. it was actually just horrendous all of their takes they were essentially being like at the end of the day what men want out of a relationship is sex. And what women want out of a relationship is resources, i.e. like money or a house or whatever. And then they were going on to say like men, their worth in society is their job, is what they can provide, is their Mm. knowledge, their experience. Because women don't date down as in like women don't date like lower than their like economic status, but men will. And so what you're saying with the fandom is like they feel like they have to know the information because that's the only way it's seen as valuable is like having this expert level skill of some sort
1: of like being having able to use, provide things. Even if that use is like what use mm-hmm. is there in knowing <laughs> everything about Star Wars. There's not really, but there's this like fake idea that it's useful because yeah. you know every. Like, why would you dedicate so much time if it wasn't useful? And it's like, well, maybe explore a bit more that you're just feeling things, you know? <laughs> I mean, I've always said, and I think it's like, the thing that's commonly said, is that fandom mirrors society. So the way that fandoms behave, the way that people treat each other. It's not a utopia and it's not a dystopia. It's almost Mm. exactly mirroring society. You have cliques, you have people who are marginalized, everything exists. And so it's not surprising that sort of like traditional gender dichotomies exist also in those spaces too, you know?
0: Yeah. And like the other
1: part of it, too,
0: is like they were talking about it in such a way where like emotion was not even part of the conversation, like wanting to strive for something larger than yourself to like for that community aspect was not even part of the conversation. Whereas women are like, I want to build a life with someone, stuff like that. And of course, this is a very like rudimental conversation, like blanket statements. But applying it to fandom, it's like the same thing. It's like they they don't think about it in like the emotional connection aspect of it.
1: Yeah and I think for me anyway and I think for most of the women I know who are in fandom the community aspect like ultimately is the thing that keeps them there and it is the yeah. driving force. I can love something a lot and I do love lots of things but I'm not necessarily as emotionally invested in the things that I don't have a community with. And so yeah. I have a you know a select few fandoms that I would say that I have friendships in and like people I could go to concerts with that I met online and those kind of things. And that to me is the difference between like loving something in a fandom is sort of like having that community aspect to it like that's just the real differentiation for me and I don't know I don't know whether that's the same with male fandoms as well I know that it can be communal and it can of course it is literally a community but I just I I don't know whether people get that same sort of like community emotional fulfillment from it in the same way that I think most music and predominantly pop fans I know get.
2: It's just like, it's it's hard to think that there could be as much of a community feel within male fandom, specifically just because they do get so close-minded about things and they are so quick to, like, discredit people and kind of turn people away from the fandom. And I feel like that correlates so much with, like this idea of nerds who were treated like others shoved in lockers whatever and now the thing that they love and adore is part of the mass media consumption of things and so they like don't really know how to share or be like that and so it all goes full circle and rather than like bringing people in and being like oh welcome to the community like we're so happy to have you here they're kind of like what are you doing here and they're judgy about it and they're horrible about it and it's like those dudes who show up to engineering college and they're like oh wow I'm hot now, you know, because they, like, have this mindset of, like, wow, I I couldn't get so much for so long. And rather than, like, act the way that, like, they wished that, like, the guys that their female friends in, like, high school or whatever, like, had treated those girls, like, instead (laughs) they go full circle and they, like, turn into chads themselves. And so then they're just, like, horrible people all around. And it's just, like, this really really weird situation where like you just have these dudes who are just going balls to the wall being horrible to women in like this very similar way that like men in fandom treat women who like are doing things that like they don't think make sense and like I don't know. It's just really interesting because I think, again, this like all really ties into the psychology behind male sports fans as well, which I know this kind of sounds like it comes from left field. But sports are such a specific thing that like these fans really exist within like the same conversation as like the moral panic around fangirls and the fangirls like quote unquote mob mentality, when these sports fans really do exist in like the mob mentality of it all, if that makes sense. Because you, you have these situations where like whether they win or whether they lose, they're setting cars on fire. They're starting riots. They're doing all this crazy shit. And nobody's really batting an eye because it's like, oh, sports fans, you know, that's just what sports fans do. And that's just like so unhinged because fangirls get such a bad rap for being loud and crazy and like rushing the stage or like chasing after cars or whatever the case is. Meanwhile, these male sports fans completely lose their shit and they crave violence and like we talked about this like I said earlier in a previous episode just about like the human draw to like violence and drama and it, like it's just like that that like animal instinct within us like the human nature of it all and these men really just cling to that when it comes to sports and the environment around being a sports fan and it's just so interesting that like fangirls kind of get treated in the media the way that I feel like sports fans should get treated because sports fans are actually following in the footsteps of mob mentality. They're actually causing issue and causing pain To people around them. And yeah, it's just like a crazy thing where it's like girls are seen as crazy for loving something a lot and being loud about it. Meanwhile, these men also love something a lot and are being loud about it. But they're also being violent about it on top of everything else.
1: I think it's interesting. I don't know if it's the same in America, but we call it like football hooliganism. And it's almost like they've created a new term for how football fans react to things or they call them hooligans and I just think no call them fans like it's fan behavior and then if you call it fan behavior that means you have to actually dissect what that fan behavior is if you call it hooliganism then it's like this whole other thing that actually we don't need to really explore that much it's just this weird thing you know So going off of the
0: whole sports thing, the podcast that I mentioned earlier, they talked about how when it comes to sports fans, a lot of it is inherited because either you grew up watching it with your family, your parents were fans of it, and a lot of it is tied to like your hometown and like your sense of belonging within your community. But sports fans don't consider themselves part of fandom. And I think that makes a lot of sense with what you just said of like, if sports fans started considering themselves fandom there would be as Mm. you're saying like there would be a whole conversation about what they're allowed and not allowed to do because they're criticizing fangirls for behaviors that they're like oh we're not like that but they they are a fandom at the end of the day they are a fandom Mm.
1: Mm. (laughs) no it's so interesting and like it means that because they're so extreme they take themselves off the table so then what's the second most extreme girl screaming and it's you know it is extreme like if you've ever been to a one direction show i went to two bts shows in la recently like the screaming's intense the fandom is intense no one's saying it's a utopia and it's this beautiful like serene garden of eden sort of place but it becomes then the most shocking form of fandom when actually it's like it's just that the others have taken themselves off the table and taking themselves out of the equation. And so the the decks aren't stacked evenly, essentially, because men have taken themselves out of the equation and women don't have the power to do that at the moment
0: yeah also when we consider sports fandom there was a really good article on like fortune.com that was talking about how violent people get in relation to sports and like they talk to psychologists and then one like crazy thing is the fact that violence triggers the same thing as like mm-hmm. pleasure in the brain so like there's a whole thing there with that but the other thing they mentioned in this article that i found really interesting is that they talk about social identity and how important that like sense of belonging and that sense of community is but in that way it can become this kind of like hive mind or like mob mentality where it becomes bigger than like the individual and then they end up doing crazy stuff like this and that can be used for good or for bad like we see a lot of fandoms like rallying together and supporting like philanthropic causes and like raising money and stuff like that and like they know what their morals are they know what they stand Mm -hmm. for based on what their idol or community or whatever has outlined but I feel like mob mentality can become really dangerous because like we were just talking about like earlier with sci-fi fandom about how like it's so gatekeeping to the point where like anyone who doesn't look the same way as you is not the same gender as you whatever like isn't allowed in and I feel like there There's a maybe a very extreme, but Mm. a percentage of this set offshoots into like the incel culture of it all where it becomes too much of a hive mind where if you're not allowing other people into your community, it's just reinforcing these ideas. And as you said, like male fandoms have no problem being super misogynistic and no one's calling them out on it. And then like, that's why I feel like it's a very slippery slope into being an incel. (laughs) (laughs)
1: No, it's. I think, I mean, we should have this conversation again in 10 years, guys, because I have noticed, again, it's going back to what I said earlier about how all of the fandom behaviours are converging at the moment, because I do think that hive mind mentality is also now existing in in music fandom and like pop music fandom, especially like you will, there will all of a sudden out of nowhere be these sort of Mm. pre-agreed morals that can change on a dime. They can change without you knowing, and all of a sudden an opinion you had last week is now totally wrong. Yeah. And I think it's just uh, another interesting example Mm -hmm. of fandom behaviors, monopolizing, and basically just like creating this this big ball of behaviors that no one really knows how to differentiate at this point. And I think it's just gonna get worse than that (laughs) from now on.
0: (laughs) It's also interesting like what you're saying because a lot of times, predominantly journalists, but I would say like any celebrity that happens to like bring up a fandom in the wrong way or at the front of realizing what is and isn't acceptable by said fandom. But a lot of times it's journalists because if you're like writing an opinion piece about somebody and then like suddenly the fandom's like going off you're like oh okay i guess this isn't the take that uh people wanted to hear today you know
1: well i mean i don't want to dwell on it but one time i made a joke on twitter that i had seen seven thousand times elsewhere made a joke all of a sudden i left my phone for an hour i came back and i had like death threats in my inbox my email inbox and i got booted off twitter for like two weeks on private and just didn't go on and it was just but it was just this thing of like hive mind mentality just decided and i wasn't aware until it was too late <laughs> that the the conversation had changed and unfortunately often that's how most people learn is either by being on the receiving end of it or seeing someone be on the receiving end of it because it's you know retweeted on their timeline and then all of a sudden it's conversation starter it's often the the celebrities or people deemed to have influence under profile I could talk for a long time about how a lot of journalists don't really have any power or protection. But, you know, it's those people yeah. who are often sort of like the lambs to the slaughter in those particular cases. And I don't know. Again, I came to fandom quite late, but I just think even in the last couple of years that's changed. From just the fandoms that I'm either a part of or that I see, because like I'm also like across a lot of fandoms, I think, For the most part, I may not be as like clued into them, but like, I feel like I am aware of their various behaviours. It's definitely something that I'm seeing a lot more. So I don't know whether these conversations about like male and female fandoms will like exist in 10 years time. Like, who knows? I
2: really don't know. I think that's a really interesting point. But I think that unfortunately, as long as sports exist, we're always going to have the male and female fan conversation of it all because men are so strongly tied to sports. And that's like their thing where they truly exist in like that fandom, you know, crazed mentality that people tend to correlate with fangirls. Because, I mean, like, you see these men acting out because they don't know what else to do. And it's kind of this weird scenario where, like, they kind of want to entice violence. They want violence to be happening. Like, they're in the crowd yelling at their favorite players when they screw up, being like, oh, like, we got to kick his ass. Like, we're going to kill him. Or, like, if the umpire messes up, they're threatening him and screaming at him and heckling him, you know? And so there was this other really interesting article in WBNUR.org by Leonard L. Glass in 2014 called The psychology of violence in sports on the field and in the stands. And what he writes in this article is studies have shown that violence in the game particularly if perceived as unfair increases the likelihood of violent acts by spectators. Fan violence is further magnified by strong identification with the team underlying racial and ethnic tensions, social alienation, alcohol consumption and predominance of young men in the crowd, which I think is something that's quite interesting because like number one you don't ever see like girl fans at concerts doing something like this, but when it comes to sports, it's like win or lose. These men are rioting in the streets, like they're setting cars on fire, they're having mobs, they're doing what the conservatives were claiming people were doing when they were peacefully protesting during like the Black Lives Matter protests in America and all over the world the other summer, you know. And it's just really honestly scary, like how much these men crave violence in these sports. That if they even get a little bit of it or if there's anything that they don't agree with it just completely sends them into a tailspin like in England the amount of domestic violence cases rise so much after people's teams lose you know and it's the same sort of situation of like when you guys lost the world cup tournament and these men went from supporting the three young black boys on the team to literally trying to hate crime them and actually hate crimeing just any black person that like slightly resemble these football players and it's just like this unhinged thing that you would never see in any other environment because it's like yeah there's been really shitty stuff that's happened in like the quote-unquote geek nerd sort of thing with again like kelly murray tran and GamerGate and all these sorts of situations where women feel like they can't be themselves in the quote-unquote nerd community or whatever you want to call it but they're not inciting violence in the same way like could you imagine imagine like at a comic-con like (laughs) the same violence that's happening like after a sports team loses and people are setting cars on fire and like pulling stop signs out of the ground and like throwing traffic cones into shop windows that would be so ridiculous and it's just like this this crazy thing that just somehow is acceptable and like is never talked about in the same way as girls screaming and crying over one direction or harry styles or the beatles
1: no it's super interesting I mean when will we ever get like a pop fan violent streak at any point who knows if like that will translate to stadium concert I mean I can't see a world where it will but I wonder if there would be you know the same sort of like apologist nature for it (laughs) yeah I mean the other part of it
0: is that sports is inherently competition right I mean like we talk about like yeah male fans participating in fandom in a competition way but like every sports game is a competition so I think that's also Mm. why there's more
1: fuel to like the hatred that they're feeling yeah that's so true I've never really thought about that even though that is like the most obvious point (laughs) I've never never even yeah (laughs) because
0: it would be like it would be like the equivalent of like Ollie London showing up at a BTS show and then BTS fans being like all right we're gonna throw some fists."
1: yeah exactly
2: and so I mean like the thing that is interesting here is it's like these men, even though they've been bullied for things that they love or kind of judged in some way for like how intense they can be about sports or what have you, it's never in the same vein as like women are made to feel guilty for loving things. And I feel like in the past couple of years, especially since the pandemic, like the term guilty pleasure has really lost a lot of meaning because people don't really have shame anymore in liking the things that they like because everything's moved onto the internet everybody's just enjoying what they want to enjoy and with so many things moving into the general public moving into the general conversation you know like it's so much harder to gatekeep things from people it's so much harder to like make sense of why people are acting this way and so we're seeing pop music being loved by people that are on unexpectedly would love it and again like with me I've talked about this before I'm finally coming to terms with actually properly loving pop music and again I've talked about like growing from the internalized misogyny that like I grew up with because we're all pre-programmed with it really and there's so much to unpack when it comes to all of this and like the way that fangirls are treated and why we feel guilty for loving things when men have never felt guilty about loving things even when these gamer guys these comic book nerds whatever you want to call them were being bullied like they never stopped being open and honest about how much they love that stuff but again like that emotional connection isn't there as much if that makes sense and it's just like a really interesting thing to think about because girls are so emotionally connected to what they love and again I'm not saying that guys can't be but they never feel guilty about it like girls always are taught to feel guilty about their intense emotional connection to art and artists and things that they love and care about and guilty pleasure just needs to stop being a term that's used it needs to stop being something that exists in the zeitgeist because it's not fair because guys can unable Passionately care about things to like their male extent, you know, again, very black and white about the conversation about it, which I know is not really the case. But just to make this an easy conversation to have, you know, it's like they're just allowed to care about these things, whereas girls are constantly judged for it. There's a the moral panic about becoming a fangirl, being viewed as a fangirl. And so even though like we are made to feel guilty about this, we are reclaiming the idea of what a fangirl is and reclaiming the idea that it's fine to love artists that are specifically made for our consumption because like they're literally creating something on a silver platter that's for us and guys don't have that because as I mentioned earlier there have always been superheroes there have always been villains that fit within the feminist idea of what a strong woman looks like you know and guys hate it and they hate that we find them and that we feel connected to them and that we can connect with these things that they love on a way deeper level because again we're taught to be connected to our emotions and it really is just so So interesting when you really think about all the psychology behind it.
1: I say this all the time because I'm a huge K-pop fan. And one of the huge reasons I really enjoy K-pop is like, I love looking at them like work out the psychology of fans, like how they... Sell these Mm -hmm. artists who I like love and respect, but like how they sell them, I just think is amazing because it's like, wow, you have catered exactly to my interests. That is amazing that you've done that. And I just think (laughs) after a while, I was like, you know what? It's real fucking fun having things made for me. Like, I don't have to feel bad about like enjoying (laughs) things that are made for me now. Like, yeah, go put a tall, hot guy in cat ears. Thank you. I don't feel guilty about that now. My final thought I had about this whole thing is that I think Like, we've had sort of, like, two conversations about sports fans and then sort of, like, pop culture fans in terms of, like, male fandom. And I think when Mm. you talk about sports fans, traditionally, again, like, everything's so black and white. Nothing exists entirely in those categories. But... Sports fans predominantly are sort of seen as maybe the dominant men in society. Like, if you're like a yeah. sport, if you're a jock, if you... Yeah, and I think that, you know, when you say, oh, like, well, it's a dominant sort of, like, person in the species, I think maybe a lot of pop culture geek nerdy fans would probably be like, I'm not the dominant in my gender because, like, I'm the underdog. I was the one who was picked on, and that's probably a huge part of, you know, why that resentment and stuff exists. But I think even still, when you compare it to how female fans are talked about men are called geeks or nerds but ultimately that just means that they know a lot like it just implies that they like have become experts like we were saying before like it's all you're saying is that they've maybe spent a lot of time getting to know something i just don't think women are ever given like whatever you call a fangirl is a fangirl is really infantilizing and that's predominantly what they're called Mm -hmm. and a screaming fangirl is like hysterical and infantilizing so there isn't really a one-to-one so even though you've got like the jock and the nerd they still are treated with like slightly more reverence than any woman who likes something that is made for women yeah yeah, that was my it's final so quote. on
0: the nose, yeah. like right? you can't get any more on the nose <laughs> than that. And I mean, honestly, just to just to bring the whole thing full circle, like at the beginning of the episode, you were saying like men are allowed to like things in kind of like a childish way where they can be totally encompassed by it, but only the right kinds of things mm. like the sports and the comic books. Mm. But if they like a pop girly, they're not allowed to like that publicly.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's um, because no. that is for women. <laughs> like, ultimately, is, you know, it, again, it always goes back to these like weird binaries that hopefully yeah. won't exist forever. But I mean, society is a hard beast to break. So I
0: think this is just like honestly such a fascinating conversation because so so many times like especially women are very you know easy to get upset about this this type of rhetoric right and it's always women calling it out because yeah. why would men bother <laughs> but if it, 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 the conversations always feel like they're the same and so I really enjoyed this conversation because I felt like we were able to like dig deeper than just sports fans suck they're the worst like fangirls are hysterical you know <laughs> like and actually dig and like discuss well why is it why are they viewed this way what in our upbringing is kind of pointing us in this direction so i love this conversation and lucy thank you so much for joining us and
1: being part of it well thank you for having me and thinking of me i love talking about fandom so much so this has been really fun for me to do also (laughs) amazing
0: and we are gonna have all the links to like your social profiles and your work as well so if any of our listeners want to go check those things out they can do so in the description below okay first of all i love lucy I love her so much. She's She just made so many great, incredible points and like brought such a cool perspective to the podcast. But the other thing I was going to say is that when we very first started this podcast and we were doing a lot of like, fangirl shouldn't be belittled type stuff. I, I like agreed mm-hmm. with it. But I didn't think that the term fangirl could be reclaimed. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just like, it's kind of muddied and like it has a bad connotation and I don't think we can reclaim it. But since then, since all the growth we've done and all the learning we've done, and also I think part of it too, like getting into k-pop and being part of like army and stuff and talking to lucy i'm like absolutely we can reclaim the term fangirl because like you said it earlier of like there's this moral panic about like what it means to be a fangirl and like letting fangirls just be fangirls but like we Mm -hmm. are really reclaiming it i think it is moving in a positive direction no matter like what (laughs) ignorant people believe like being a fangirl yourself and feeling empowered is literally all that matters
2: yeah yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that that's really what it's all about. And I feel like the more we try and separate the like infantilizing connotations that Lucy was talking about earlier to like how being a fangirl genuinely makes people feel, like yeah. I think that that will also stop more adults in fandom from being like, oh, but I'm a mom. Oh, but I'm this. Like, don't call me a fangirl because I think that again, it's that like. Internalized misogyny that we don't realize we have, but also the like not wanting to be correlated with the trope of like young screaming girl who's like too stupid to understand what her emotions are, because that's not really what being a fangirl is about. And I feel like unfortunately, in some fan spaces, like people might not have ever been a fangirl before until they were older, specifically like when we've heard about K-pop stuff. And so I think yeah. that there has never been a positive connotation whatsoever to them about being a fangirl because they've only yeah. really heard about it in practice because it is a relatively newer terminology for like the crazed female fan idea of things. But yeah, so I think it is really interesting. And I think also on top of that, the thing that I really realized is I think that this is one of the more important episodes that you guys send to your male friends and yes. like your, your, your like yes. compatriots. Like the people <laughs> yes. that you think or feel are on your side of this discussion. If they're ever going to listen to a Name 3 Songs episode, I think it should be this one because if to you they do feel like they're on your side of this discussion, hearing this perspective, hearing this discussion, And like being able to bring that into the conversations that they're having with their male friends, I think will really, really help push the conversation forward.
0: Yeah, I, (laughs) it's just so wild to hear you say that because like I was thinking the exact same thing of it's like the people who need to be hearing this are the people who are probably not listening to our podcast, but should be. Because being able to think critically about the other side, think critically about like how things exist and why women get so upset about how things are unfair when like a man might be like, it's not that unfair. Like, what are you talking about? They need this perspective. Like they need to understand the other side of it and even just be open to hearing it. That might flip a switch in their brain and they might, you know, like you said, start to change their behaviors with their own male friends.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A million percent. And that's what's so important is it's like we've said so many times that really a lot, most of what we're trying to do with this podcast is never really going to be able to happen unless people on the other side of the table listen and like will sit down and be willing to have us be heard. And I really I really do believe that this conversation could start a bigger discussion and like a snowball effect to some degree because not to like toot our own horn but I feel like we did a pretty good job explaining everything and looking into the psychology about it I literally hacked a website to read an article for you guys <laughs> <laughs>
0: As always, we are so grateful for you guys learning along with us and we would love to hear like your thoughts on all of this because I feel like we really impacted a lot today.
2: Yeah, definitely. So if you guys do have any thoughts or feelings about this episode or just like any personal experiences with fanboys and the negative side of them being like, you can't like Marvel when literally every single human on Earth at this point probably likes Marvel to some extent, hit us up in the DMs. We are at Name3Songs on Instagram or Twitter, or you can go watch me have meltdowns on TikTok as well. Or if you have any personal beef or you love anything we said, you can come chat with us. I'm at Sarah underscore Fagan and Jenna is at Jenna underscore Million. So until next time, never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band.
0: And remember, you're never too cool to listen to every boy band you've ever loved.
2: Don't forget to subscribe to keep updated on when new episodes come out, and leave us a five-star review—they really help.
0: If you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode, you can visit Nametreesongs.com.